Hello, Mets fans. My name is Jacob LaChapelle, and I've got something to say. Well, we really made it this time, folks. After a weekend that felt like an eternity, opening day has come and gone, and games 1 through 4 of 162 are in the books. In today's episode, I'm going to be talking about what we saw and what I thought of both our opening series in Philadelphia and our home opener against the Marlins, especially the end of that game, which just wrapped up about three hours ago. But before I jump right in, if you like the show and want to stay up to date with us, as well as all things New York Mets, find us online on Twitter at Something to Shea or on Instagram at Something to Shea Pod. With that, let's get started. So the opening series gets postponed and opening day goes from April 1st to April 5th. And man, I'll tell you, that was a long four days. You know, so much anticipation, so much excitement built up around this team. And we felt like we were right there. We were right on the edge. And then boom, four day delay. Um, so that was a long weekend of just waiting for the guys to get out on the field. And, uh, you know, while while April 5th may have been our opening day per se, you know, it was our first game of the season. It wasn't really opening day. Opening day isn't just, you know, the first time you play. It's a whole experience. You know, the the fans are in the stands for the first time. The the lineups are announced. The rosters are introduced. There's ceremonies. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of pomp and circumstance to the entire day. Our opening day was okay. Let's show up in Philadelphia and let's play baseball. You know, Philadelphia had already played a series. They'd already played a series at home. They were coming off of a four-game sweep of the Atlanta Braves, which, by the way, coming into the season, I had the Atlanta Braves as the second-best team in the division. If you were to tell me that they were going to go 0-4 against a Phillies team that, yeah, they made improvements, but against that Phillies team, I would have told you you're crazy. I would have told you you're absolutely crazy. So, I mean, that's why we play the game. So, Phillies coming in, and they're hot, and... On the other hand, we're we're rusty, you know. Um, we've been sitting in D.C. all weekend. You know, did we get a couple practices in? Yeah. Did we get a scrimmage in? Yeah. But that's not the same as facing these other teams, playing real situations, playing in front of the fans, you know, having that adrenaline. You know, they're already settled in. For us, it's the first time they're in front of fans. It's the first time they're putting on that uniform. So that's tough to begin with. But we've just got to adapt and we've got to go in and play ball. And that's what we did. So we had a three-game set against the Phillies starting on Monday, April 5th. Uh, Game one, I didn't really know what to expect. You know, Phillies coming in hot. We're coming in cold. And, uh, you know, Jacob deGrom, best pitcher in baseball, hadn't pitched in the game in 10 days. So he comes in, he pitches, he looks great. He always looks great. But the question is, you know, what kind of effect is that going to have on him? What kind of effect is that going to have on the entire roster? So Luis Rojas gets himself in a bit of hot water here when he takes DeGrom out after just 77 pitches. And here's the thing. I see both sides of this. I understand that as a fan, you want the best pitcher in baseball on the mound throwing his usual 100, 110 pitches every game of the season, like right from the get-go. I get that. I get that. But you have to think of it from a manager's perspective. Jacob deGrom, yes, he's the best pitcher in baseball, but all pitchers in baseball are going to be going through a change this year. Last year, pitchers went from preparing for a 162-game season to just sitting 
you know, nobody knew what was going to happen when the pandemic started. Nobody knew if there was going to be a season. They were hopeful. You know, they tried to stay in shape, but it's not it's not the same as a spring training or or actual game reps when you're just throwing off of a mound getting ready. So these guys went from preparing for 162 games to a 60-game season, which is a sprint. It's a sprint. They do that. They finish a little later than usual, um, really just a couple of days. And then they get the usual amount of off time and then back to spring training at the same time. So you wouldn't think that it would have that big an effect on this year because schedule-wise, they're still on the same pace. But you're now talking that ball clubs are asking pitchers who played in 60 games. Well, no, they're asking every player. But let's think about it just for pitchers. 60 games to 162. 162 games. So... Luis Rojas, yes, has the best pitcher in baseball on the mound. But does he really want a chance on the first day of the season pushing him past his limit because this change has affected him that much? No, no way. No way. And I mean, here's the deal. If DeGrom's in that game, do we have a better shot at winning? Of course we do. He's the best pitcher in baseball and our bullpen is one of the worst. But if I'm the manager of the New York Mets, I'm not pushing him past where he should go. He hasn't thrown a ball in a game situation in 10 days, and you want him to turn around and throw again in five days. So you cannot push him past, or much past. And honestly, props to Luis, because, you know, a lot of people would have sent him out for the next inning and then taken him out in the middle. It's just better to take him out after 77 See what you have in the bullpen. It's the first game of the year. Yes, you want to get off to a good start. Yes, you want to win every game, obviously. But if you're going to ease into it, commit to it. As for the rest of the game, you know, pretty typical Mets. You know, no run support for Jacob deGrom. And we think that we have the game under control. And we don't. It's gone. Um, In our last episode, I talked a lot about the bullpen and how... It's probably our Achilles heel, you know, and if it if there are guys like Juris Familia and Dellen Patances that don't improve, then we've got to make a move or it's going to hurt us a lot. And while it is too early in the season to read into a lot of things and really like demand change, this opening series absolutely proves that point about the bullpen. Absolutely. Game one, we think we have the game under control. Bullpen comes in. Boom. Lead's gone. Game two, we think we have the game under control. Bullpen comes in. Boom. A lot more interesting now. So the bullpen, while it's too early to read into numbers, like, for example, Trevor May comes into his second game with an ERA of 54. 54. It's, It's too early to read into numbers like that. But it's a little shocking that the numbers are even there. So in this first game, the bullpen really blew it, but the defense also faltered. You know, there's that play in the eighth inning, the five-run eighth inning by the Phillies where 
Guillaume rushes the throw home to McCann. And, you know, is it a bad throw? No. But is it catchable? Eh. You know, so it, it's it's hard to pin that on someone uh, between Guillaume and McCann. But either way, it's a play that should have been made. Um, and it's just, it's ironic that we put in our defensive specialist who then throws away the ball and essentially the lead. But, like I said, game one, too early to read into anything. Uh, just sharing thoughts here. Um, but I would also be remiss if I ignored all of the good signs in this game. Um, in the first inning, Kevin Pillar nailed Reese Hoskins on a triple with a beautiful relay. The ball hit the top of the wall, bounced back in. Reese went for a triple. Pillar fires it into McNeil. McNeil turns, whips it to Davis, and they nail him trying to stretch it to three. Um, it was a beautiful relay. Honestly, I think plays like that are going to make a case for Kevin Pillar to start in center a lot more throughout the year. Brandon Nimmo, his OPS is sky high, but if he starts to struggle defensively, they're going to have to shift him to left. They're going to have to put him to right, you know, and Kevin Pillar is going to get those reps. Um, and then in the ninth inning, you know, pretty deflating eighth, but ninth inning, they showed fight with two outs, you know, Nimmo and Jonathan Villar both strike out. But then Pilar comes up to hit. He gets on base. He scores. Lindor gets a hit. Conforto gets a hit. Um, and then Pete smokes a ball that just just missed getting out. Um, and that's the ball game. So even with a deflating inning like that, you know, up 3 nothing, And to lose 5-3, you know, it's still... There were still a lot of plus uh, plus sides there. So we start off the year 0-1, which is not what you want, but it's all right because there's 162 of them. So we go into game two, and Stroman looks good. In his first in his first start since 2019, he allows just one earned run over six innings pitched with three hits, three strikeouts, two walks, and a whole lot of swagger. He, he really, he had command of his stuff. He really reminded me of... You know, I don't want to say vintage because it wasn't that long ago, but but just Blue Jays Marcus Stroman um, on the mound, dominant and just confident. Um, if that's the Stroman we get this year, our rotation is even better than a lot of people are giving us credit for. And we're already among the top in the league. Um, so definitely keep an eye on Marcus Stroman. One of the most exciting players to watch. Um in my opinion, uh, and he's really looking for a comeback year. Scary moment in the first, or the second inning, rather. My apologies. Uh, J.D. Davis takes a pitch off the hand. He's removed from the game. Uh, you know, it was scary. It, it could have been a lot worse. We're very lucky. J.D. Davis is day-to-day with a hand contusion after two days of x-rays come back negative. Uh, J.D., we wish you a speedy recovery. We can't wait to have you back in the lineup. Um, and yeah, there were, there were a lot more plus sides in this game than the first one. I mean, obviously there are usually going to be more plus sides in an eight to four win, but Trevor may still struggled a little bit, but he was a lot better. Uh, Castro, Miguel Castro coming out of the pen has electric stuff. I mean, he's hitting triple digits and he's got movement. If he can get a bit more command, Mets fans should be really excited about him. Familia came in. He was better than he's been, but still, 
I'm uneasy giving him the ball. Uh, but still, it is good to see Jerry's Familia sort of getting getting better. He had a very rough spring training. He had a very rough 2020. Um, while his stat line isn't what you'd like for his first outing of the year, you know, I'll take it. Um, and then, of course, the Bash brothers, Dominic Smith and Pete Alonzo, both home... Uh, both homer in the game. Pete becomes the fastest to 70 home runs. Uh, he hit 70 home runs in just 220 games compared to Yankees outfielder Aaron Judge doing it in 231. So congrats, Pete. And Brandon Nimmo, a walk machine, had three walks in this game. And I don't know if you can call them walks because when, Brand- when Brandon works a walk, he sprints to first base. Um that's something we saw a lot of in 2020, a lot of him working the count, like getting getting on base, working the walk. Um, if he can keep his OPS sky high, it's hard to take him out of the lineup. So that's an 8-4 win in Game 2 of the series. That's the first win under Stephen Cohen, and it's something that you really like to see as a Mets fan. You know, the bullpen still struggled, but Stroman looked good. The offense looked good. The defense looked good. Um Really just the two scary parts were J.D. Davis's injury and the bullpen. Um, but going into Game 3 definitely felt good. Uh, game 3, April 7th, uh, David Peterson on the mound, a lefty, is be his first full year in the in the bigs. Going into this game, I was excited. I mean, he ate a lot of valuable innings for us down the stretch last year. He pitched in a lot of big moments. He made the most of the opportunity he was given so it was great to see him make the big league roster and make the rotation. Um, but the Phillies made sure that that excitement didn't last long. Reese Hoskins and Alec Bohm both homering off of him in the first inning. The Phillies score four runs and force him to throw nearly 40 pitches. Um, it was an inning that was so ugly. It was so bad that when I saw Joey Lucchese warming up at the bullpen and they got the third out, I immediately tweeted David Peterson's final stat line on the day. But once again, I was wrong. And he settled in for that for um, for three more innings. And while they did score two more runs off of him, it's they were inherited runners. Um, he looked a lot better. Um, so while the stat line can be a little deceiving, you know, the four runs in the first, they scored two more after he exited. Um, but he really settled in. He looked sharp. He had more command. The big thing for him is he's got to use the slider. The slider is by far his best pitch. If he can use that more and place it, he's going to be a problem. He's going to be a problem, um, for opposing lineups. That is not for the New York Mets. (laughs) Um, so yeah, right now it's a mental game of when and where to throw those pitches. Um, so I'm really I'm not worried about this start. You know the six earned runs not ideal, but first start of a rookie season, um, and to come back for three dominant innings like that, I'm not worried about him in the slightest. I think he'll bounce back in his next start. But overall, this game was just a disappointment for the Mets. I mean, a big thing that they've struggled with is leaving runners on, leaving them on in scoring position. Um, and that was a big one in this game. I mean, Michael Conforto struck out with the bases loaded in the fourth. And it was just, there were a lot of a lot of backwards Ks. A lot of striking out looking and leaving runners on. Which is something you never want to see, especially early in the season. Um, 
So yeah, but one positive that I would like to take from this game is that Lindor's leadership has really been on display. This isn't meant as an insult to Ahmed Rosario, but he's not a field general. You know, he he plays his position. Um, Lindor plays his position. He excels at his position. And he helps everyone around him excel. It was clear watching this game. You know, they're still... I mean, they lost by six runs. You know, it's very easy for somebody to just check out of the game, go through the motions. But he was in it the entire way. And it was right from the get-go. David Peterson has that rough inning. Francisco Lindor goes up to him in the dugout, picks him up, says, Hey, listen, we're going to have to score anyways. Now what you have to do is you have to hold him there. Give us a shot. He goes over, he calms the rookie. That's something you love to see, especially from somebody who's just starting out on the team. But Mets fans should feel even better about that 10-year contract extension now that they've seen that he's he's a leader. And when I say field general, when you watch him in the field, yes, he excels at his position. But not only that, he's he's directing the people around him. He's positioning. He's shifting people. He's He's alerting people where to go with the ball if they get it. He's somebody that makes the entire team better. Not only is he an incredible asset by himself, but he makes everyone around him a better player. And that was great to see. So even in an 8-2 to loss, you know, that's a ginormous plus to take away. But other than that, not many positives here. You know, Nimmo keeps it up with OPS, but other, other than those couple of things, it's really an ugly series. Um... But Thursday was a new day, and we were back in Queens, back at City Field, back in front of the fans. You know, even if it was 8,500 people, what a difference that make. You know, in the last year, a lot of people hated on the fake crowd noise that uh, that the MLB was pumping in. But I've got to say, I, d- I didn't mind it. You know, I thought it was a lot better than, than watching a game without noise. Um, but watching the games this weekend, this week... Today, especially, um, the power of live fans is incredible. And we're going to talk more about how that might have influenced the game a little bit later. But I do want to start at the top. So Taiwan Walker making his Mets debut looks sharp. Looks really, really sharp. Six innings pitched, four hits, two earned runs, two walks, and four strikeouts. Three of those strikeouts are the first batter of each of the first three innings. Uh, I believe the first hit that the Marlins registered were in the was in the fifth inning. Um, he looked really good. He was he, he was sitting about ninety six. Uh, just thinking about how he's our number four starter. Wow. Um, Mets fans should be excited about this guy. Not only because he's a terrific person. Uh, we might all remember his joke tweets the night Lindor was extended, and also just his interactions with Turk Wendell. Um, but he's so happy to be in Queens, and he's really given it his all. Um, we should be really excited about this guy. And he has a lot of potential, not only this year, but for the future. So I'm so, so happy to have him on board. Um, so yeah, he looked good. Castro looked good. May looked good. Diaz looked good. The entire bullpen. This was a much better day for us. Much, much better day. Still not where you want it, but we're on the right path. Um, 
So yeah, and other than that, the game was pretty uneventful. Not a lot of offense until late in the game. And going into the ninth inning, it was 2-1 Marlins. And Jeff McNeil searching for his first hit of the year. Sent a ball into orbit that should land in about 15 minutes. I honestly could not tell when he hit the ball what was going to go further, the bat or the ball. Because he hit the ball and he knew it was gone. I knew it was gone. Everyone knew it was gone. But he let us know with the bat flip. He said it was his first career bat flip. But what a birthday present for him to give to himself. Uh, First hit of the year. Ties the game in the ninth inning. Just huge. And he said... He said that it's that crowd at City Field getting him hyped up. You know, it's good to be in front of these people again. So while I didn't hate the fake crowd noise, if that going away and having real people, even if it's a smaller amount in the stands, is going to make Jeff McNeil hit 430-foot home runs, great. Sign me up. <laughs> um, but from there is where this game gets a little murky. Um, so McNeil hits a home run to tie it. The Mets end up with the bases loaded for Michael Conforto. Well, they really end up with second and third for Francisco Lindor, who then gets intentionally walked, um, which is the right move, but not the move I wanted to see the Marlins make because I obviously wanted to see Francisco Lindor walk it off in his city field debut. Um, But it's the right move. It gets the force at any base. I, I understand why Don Mattingly did it. Also, Michael Conforto is struggling. I don't think that's... A secret, and we had said earlier in the in the episode, you know, it's too early to read into numbers, but sometimes you gotta. <laughs> so, a struggling Michael Conforto versus Francisco Lindor, one of the best players in baseball. Who would you rather pitch to, with the game on the line? Michael Conforto, going into the at bat, had already left sixteen runners on base this season. That's four games. 16 runners on base. That's four runners a game. Hold on. Let me make sure my math's right. Yeah, that's four runners a game. <laughs> no. Um. So it's a pretty obvious move on the part of Don Mattingly to walk Francisco Lindor and get to Michael Conforto. But this is where it really gets tricky. Marlins closer Anthony Bass gets it to 0-2. So I'm thinking, okay, who's on deck? Michael Conforto's probably leaving three more people on base. The pitch comes in, it's, it looks like a breaking ball, and it hits Conforto? The pitch seemed to be sort of in the center of the plate, so how'd it hit him? Well, that's where it's going to get a little messy. A lot of people are saying that he's reacting to the bend in the pitch. I don't, I don't buy it. If you look at the replay... You can clearly see Michael Conforto stick his right elbow out and get nicked by the baseball. Now, here's the thing. I'm all for winning. I would like to win. But I don't know if today's win really sits right with me. It's It definitely seems like there was a little bit of motivation there. But I don't know. So, the ball hits Conforto. They award him first base. Luis Guillorme is forced in a score. Mets win 3-2. Anthony Bass argues. Miguel Rojas argues. Don Mattingly argues. The umps go to review it. 
the rule is that they can review if the ball hit Michael, but they cannot determine if there was a conscious effort to either get out or in the way of the ball. So if they were to if they were to review the play, even if they watch the super slow-mo and see Michael Conforto stick his arm out, they cannot say, hey, he stuck his arm out. They can only determine if the baseball hit him. Which it did. It barely did, but it did. So, the only way that this play could have been overruled or changed in any way was if another umpire on the on the field at the time of the play called time and said, no, this is what he did. None of the umps did that. After the game, the home plate umpire said that he got the call wrong. But here's my question is, why have replay if you can't actually review the stuff? Now, I, I want to be careful because it sounds like I'm arguing for the Mets to lose, which is not what I wanted. But, you know, if we're going to win, I want to actually win. I don't want to win by technicality. And I certainly don't want to go down the path of dishonesty. So Michael Conforto sticks his arm out. We win. Great. It's another one in the win column. But how do you feel about that? And Mets fans, I want you to let me know how you feel about that. Find us online at something to shape pod on Instagram at something to shape Twitter. Tell us what you think about today's game. Now, let me be clear. I'm not saying that Michael Conforto is on the same plane as the Houston Astros. But I don't think it's a good look. And I don't think that's how you want to win a game. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there isn't a certain way you want to win a game. But if that were me, I don't know how I'd feel about that. And like I said, Michael Conforto, obviously struggling. 16 runners left on base. He's up against the wall in the bottom of the ninth. Do you really think he was reacting to the curve? Or do you think he was just trying to get in the statistic column? So the Mets win, which I'm happy about. I'm obviously conflicted about the way that they won. I'm interested to see down the road you know, what happens? The umpire pretty much admitted that he got it wrong. He pretty much admitted that Michael got in the way on purpose. So so what happens from here? You know, obviously, you know, it's probably not going to be too pretty this weekend when the Marlins are back at City Field. But, you know, is this something that Michael is going to face a punishment for, whether it be a fine, a suspension, you know? And that's another thing. Well, yeah, him sticking his elbow out did help the team today. Let's say he gets suspended. So help today, hurt tomorrow? It doesn't make much sense to me. It doesn't make much sense at all. But with that being said, one more in the win column. We win the home opener in front of fans. God, it's so good to see the fans back. I can't wait to get back to City Field. So we've got two more this weekend, Saturday and Sunday against the Miami Marlins, and then starting Monday, the Phillies are in town for a four-game set, and honestly, I think they're going to be playing a different Mets team. I don't think this is going to be the same team, 
mentally that was in Philadelphia. So yeah, two and two to start the year. Not the prettiest start to the season. Certainly not the ugliest. Um, but now we've got games under our belt and we've shaken off the rust. So now it's really time to start playing Mets baseball and starting to really act like these games count. I would be shocked, shocked if next week's series against the Phillies were even remotely similar to this week's. And I, I've got to tell you, if if you think that these are just the same old Mets, you know, give it time. It's really easy to say, oh, Trevor May sucks. Oh, we shouldn't have traded for Lindor. Oh, we should have traded J.D. Davis for Chris Bryant. Take a breath. It's only been four games. Four. The season is 162 games long. So take a breath. Give it time. You know, I'll remind you, a couple years ago, we started 10-1. and one. We didn't make the playoffs. So give it time. This team is special. They're going to shake the rust off, and they're going to play a new brand of Mets baseball. Give it time. Trust Uncle Stevie. If you like the show, check us out online. We're on Instagram at something to Shea pod or on Twitter at something to Shea. We will be back every Friday throughout the season to break down everything New York Mets. Until next time, LFGM. <laughs>